0: Hey everyone, it's David Bombal coming to you from Cisco Live in Barcelona. Really happy to have Dimitri with me. Dimitri, before we start, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself, but I've got to say this. You are a brave man. You live code on Twitch. Is that right? So tell us a bit about yourself, who you are, and tell us about this Twitch thing. Thanks for having me, David. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so
1: about the Twitch streaming. Absolutely. So I... I do stream every Sunday about network programmability topics and occasionally I do live coding there as well. And uh, yeah, it's very different experience even compared to recording a video.
0: Uh, Yeah, I publish those recordings on YouTube as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna say you're you're really brave because I mean, the thing when you code is it's so easy to make a lot of mistakes, I find. So doing it live must be really difficult. But I mean, tell us a bit more about that and tell us about your Twitter because you're also very active on Twitter and stuff like that. And then I'd like to ask you about, you know, how did you get to working at Cisco? Because you work at Cisco. Sure. Um,
1: So um, as a daily job, I am a system engineer in Cisco enterprise sales. I design and implement uh, software applications and automation systems uh, on a daily basis uh, and I'm very active on social media especially Twitter I like to share stuff about technology network programmability programming cisco life obviously oh, yeah. uh, so if we would like to talk about my journey and how how I came here right uh, so uh, my major was in university telecommunications so I always uh, wanted to do something else in programming even though even though i thought that i could do programming but i didn't want to become full-time developer i didn't want to create yet another website this was my fear and i was like okay i am very good at technology and like math and physics and that kind of stuff i would like to do something in it but not programming so i selected you know networking So I started in university uh, doing telecommunications. I went to CCNA course, uh, to CCNA Academy there. I got interested in all Cisco stuff. Um, This is how I got involved in all Cisco technologies. But also at the same time, I I was doing some side courses, some online courses. This was a time when it just became popular. And I realized that I'm actually very good at programming too, but I still had that feel like, okay, I don't want this to become my full-time job. I, I'm i okay doing that as a hobby. So this is what I was doing. Then it's, uh, I think at the last year of studies, I got a part-time job as a software developer actually, uh, working on the online games. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, uh, and um, at that point I already had like, I think one year of Python python experience i would say more like trial and error self taught type of thing uh, and this was the time where i could apply those skills to actual to actually do something useful so then i did that for a year i but i still was i firm believer that okay i want to i want to do networking stuff not programming so when i finished my university uh, I was always thinking about joining Cisco, yeah. so I, during the new, new university, I did my CCNA, I passed CCNA, um, then I thought, okay, I would like also to go further, so I started uh, studying for CCNP, and by the time I uh, I finished in university, I passed all three exams, so I became CCNP certified. So I was doing like a, a lot of reading, a lot of hands-on, and I thought, like. I really want to get into Cisco like you know like if I am in this area of networking um, this seems to be like the best place to be the the best place to work so I really wanted to get there so after university I got uh, got into Krakow uh, in Poland to Technical Assistance Center so I started working in Cisco as a tech engineer so I was in multiple teams uh, in tech Uh, and um, supporting routers, supporting VPN technologies. But then after some time, I realized that it's not exactly what I want to do. And I uh, I still carried all of my programming knowledge with me. So I was doing like some side things, you know, something that simplifies my life in Python. I was like, okay, I see that there is a lot of talks about network automation network programmability so I started uh, getting interested into that and I was thinking like okay I see that this is something that is coming to the whole industry of networking and I thought I would be the perfect perfect person to do something like this because I have solid networking knowledge And by that time, I also passed my IE when I was in tech. Um, And I also have this already, like, four years of Python hands-on knowledge. So I actually understand how software development works. So I could actually get started uh, since I have this uh, background in two worlds and, you know, be good at it. I always wanted to be very good at something, you know. So I, you know, I started doing that first as, you know, as a hobby while I was in tech, and
0: then I found a position where I could do it full time. Yes, Dimitri, I wanted to ask you, I mean, you, you became a CCIE, so when you were doing networking, like as a CCIE or CCMP, did you classify yourself as a networker or as a programmer? And like today you've moved into network automation. So what are you, a programmer or a networking person? So, if you ask me this question two
1: years ago, uh, while I was still in tech, yeah. I would definitely say I am a network guy. Yeah. Since I moved to this new role, uh, which was around one and a half year ago now, yeah. I, I wouldn't consider myself network engineer anymore. And um, yeah, I would, I would... So, what
0: would you consider yourself?
1: I would consider myself software developer. again. Yeah.
0: So, you became what you didn't want to become?
1: except of I don't focus on building websites,
0: I guess. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's the big difference. I'm just going to talk loud, so I hope it gets to the mic. Um, The difference is you are doing software development, but in a networking context.
1: Absolutely, yes. It's not the only thing I'm doing. So I am, as part of my role... I'm covering that, but I can also build something that is required by our organization. So it may not necessarily be network automation; it could be some kind of integration for our backend systems between, you know, different databases and stuff like that. So, for right now, for me, it doesn't really matter. Though I would consider myself that where like I excel would be actually network programmability, uh, because I also spend a lot of time
0: like learning all of these concepts specifically to network automation you know Yeah. so um, before I I, I don't know if you mentioned it because I can't remember if you did did you mention your Twitter handle and once you've done that could you describe this project that you're working on because you had a presentation yesterday and I just want to tell everyone Dimitri had a presentation yesterday and it was packed it was only standing room there's some really cool photos that you can find on Twitter and hopefully I think you can send that to me and then I'll I'll post that on my Twitter account as well where he was presenting and it was just like people standing around I, I wanted to film that but I couldn't because there was no space so yeah give us your Twitter handle and then tell us about this project that you actually like a core developer on I think yeah uh,
1: yeah absolutely David so my Twitter handle is at DM This uh, project that David was talking about is called um, Nornir and it's a Python automation framework. And It's an open source project created by two very famous guys. Uh, One of them is David Barroso who is creator of Napalm and another one is Kirk Byers who is creator of Netmiko. So um, at some point I realized that I didn't really like existing tools. And I had actually some um, some uh, projects at work where I had to do network automation from like start until the end. And I realized that existing tooling was just not good enough for my purposes. So I started looking around, I stumbled upon this project, and I realized that, okay, this is something that I can actually use for my work project. Uh, but I also am a Python developer already, so I can, I can contribute, I can make it better. Yeah. Because the what happens with a lot of open source projects, they all start because you have some kind of business need. Yeah. Or some other, not necessarily like business need for your company, but maybe some personal need as well, you know, some, some kind of thing. So you start building that based on what you need and your requirements. So you have this kind of like one perspective on on the problems that you're trying to solve yeah. but when other people when you start sharing this code with other people they come with use cases that you never would thought about okay and this was also was happening in my case so i looked at this framework i thought it is very cool i'm missing some of the stuff so what i'm going to do i'm going to build it myself and contribute and help these guys maintain this project. So this is how I got involved. And uh, yeah, right now I'm I'm trying to do my best to maintain this
0: project together with Kirk and David. So that's great. I mean, I just want to ask you two things. You said that current tools didn't meet your requirements. Could you tell us about which tools? Um, So, you know, what was the problem that, that you were facing with current tools? And if you can mention those tools and perhaps what the issues were, and then, you know, so why did you go to this? Okay. So
1: it's an interesting question, David. And I know a lot of you folks are going to disagree with me. <laughs> I'm sorry for that. Um, I, do, I do have Everyone here- Everyone allowed their opinion. Right, I do have here very, I would, I would say in popular opinion in this particular area. So I have been using Ansible for network automation when I started and this was the tool that you know I, st- I started using for this project at work that i had and it, the project itself was quite complex uh, on its own and has like several layers of abstractions it's still like not finished but it's still like work in progress and i quickly realized that it just has so many shortcomings this is going to be very embarrassing folks
0: you don't
1: want to, that's fine. No, no, that's good, I'm always... You
0: mentioned ha- it in your talk, so that's
1: why I'm asking you. Yeah, yeah, like, I'm always uh, happy to hate on an Ansible whenever I can, so, <laughs> like, if you if you will see me, folks, anywhere on the internet or, you know, face-to-face, and if you would like to have to be occupied for the next 30 minutes, you can ask me, why don't you like Ansible, and then I'm going to have a monologue. <laughs> so, um, so, let me... Uh, elaborate on a couple of key points yeah, yeah, there.
0: you used to like Ansible.
1: I wouldn't say I used to like it, but this is what everyone was using. And like, okay, I should give it, give it a try, you know? Yeah. Like, um, so here are my problems with Ansible. One, The first and foremost is that all of your tasks are written in what is called in general DSL or domain specific language. Yeah. In case of Ansible, it's a YAML file so all of your whatever you have to do must be written in the yaml file What? why is that a problem? well when you're doing very simple stuff like okay I want to uh, run this command on a group of devices that is more or less fine however when you wa- want to, tr- to work on some higher level of abstraction when you want to select devices based on different conditions and stuff you start you st- you will have a need to have a for loops, and e- mo- uh, multiple if statements in your Ansible playbooks. Yeah. What you are essentially doing, you're converting that into a programming language. So even if your folks think that, oh, like programming is so hard, so I'm going to use Ansible and write everything in the YAML because it's not programming, You, if you do that, you will actually start doing programming in YAML. So I'm not sure it's uh, like good time investment. Now, what is the like general problem is like doing programming in YAML, if you will, is that you lack all of the tools that you can use in the programming languages. Okay, so you can't uh, properly validate if your tasks are correct. So what happened to me every so often, I had some some mistake somewhere in the role very nested and you get the generic error, an error and you having a hard time finding it. You can't, you can't uh, it's really hard to build a proper unit testing around Ansible and you don't get ID hints when you actually decoding, you know, so you get all of this help from these tools, like, you know, you can get notified about syntax error even before you run anything, right? You lose majority of this functionality. There is only s- some stuff exists like Ansible lint. It will check the your Ansible playbook just for consistency uh, of like there are no gener- generic syntax error. But in general, no. So when you have to troubleshoot it, it becomes a real pain. Um, actually, on one of my streams, which was about Ansible, I experienced that firsthand. Like yeah. I had some mistake, I couldn't find it for one hour in the stream. Oh, wow. Uh, it was That's very bad. embarrassing. Um, so, this is one thing. Now, second thing is, uh, in general, it's very slow. It's obviously much faster than if you do that manually. Yeah. But if you're talking about software development, if you will, it is super slow. Uh, like, you know, if you use, for example, our project for, let's say, hundreds of devices and you use Ansible, the Difference is going to be like five or ten times in execution time. And the more
0: devices you have, the bigger differences it's going to be in the. Can I interrupt you there? Yep. Yes. Yeah, so, so I'm really glad that you're highlighting this. And I just want to say for everyone's benefit that I spoke to Eric yesterday, another big um, Cisco engineer here in DevNet, and he has the opposite opinion to Dimitri. And I think that's fine. You know, you must decide for yourself what works. I like to say, is it a tomato or is it a tomato? You know, decide for yourself what's the better tool. Everyone has their opinion and that's great. And it's nice to have all these options. But coming back to what you said, you said that Ansible was slow. When I've taught courses using NetMiko, guys always complain, it's slow. It's so slow because we do Telnet and it's quick. NetMiko is so slow. So tell me, does the project that you working on make it foster somehow how is it different to say NetMiko because Kirk who, did, who wrote NetMiko helped develop this um, and I can't remember David who did um, Napalm he also worked on this so why why did they take those two projects and create this new project so it's a bunch of questions but
1: yeah so here's the thing the Nornier itself is the framework for actual connections to the devices, it's still using these libraries like NetMiko and Napalm.
0: So it's using those? Yes, and
1: you you will actually see them when you're trying to build something. You will have to refer to these underlying libraries, saying that, okay, I would like to run the send command from NetMiko library, uh, but using the Nornier framework. So what Nornier really does for you is two things. One is what I think actually ansible invented and they did a good job at it which is inventory so how do you arrange the data about like connection details and the actual variables for uh for all of your network devices and how you group them together so that you have proper inheritance chain so let's say if you can't find it in the host host vars, you would go to the group and try to look for it there so this inheritance chain i think it's it was a good idea. That's why we decided to borrow the idea and re-implement it in the, our framework. So that you have an easy way to access the data for device or per group or something. And it's all accessed from like the host itself, if you will. So this is one thing. So it's abstraction for your inventory. So that it's easier to work with this. And you have this recursive lookup through all of the uh, uh, inventory chain, if you will. Another thing that it does is concurrent task execution. So it's using Python threads to uh, do everything concurrently. So it's it abstracts for you doing multiple, multiple threads on your own with Netmiko. So what this leads to, well, Python threads are actually quite efficient. There are some newer techniques, but we are not going to go into that level of details here. Uh, they are much efficient than the technology that Ansible uses and it's kind of like their architectural decision. And the, when you do that, let's say if you do something on thousands of devices, the like the latency that you get if you run it via Nornier on thousands of devices using Netmiko as an underlying library, would be around like running it sequentially for two devices using Netmiko. Okay, so let's so, say, say...
0: Say that again, sorry. Uh, okay, so it's, let's say... A thousand devices is the same as two devices. Yeah. So, so, yeah, so let's wow. say, so let's say wow. you
1: are using Netmika, right? And, you are, and your script takes, let's say, like 15 seconds. Okay? This was like usual thing for me when I was doing show commands, it was taking around 10 to 15 seconds. Yeah. For a config, it would take obviously longer. Yeah. So let's say 10, 15 seconds. So when you have thousands of devices and you're using something like Nornir, the execution time would be around like thirty to like sixty seconds for thousands of devices because we are using threads. Yeah. So nothing, that's amazing. Yeah. So that additional time is coming just from the overhead of like switching all the time. Yeah. But it's still like
0: I mean that's crazy. In this case yeah. it doesn't
1: really matter how long it takes for like a single device to do it. Right.
0: Yeah, so y- yeah, that's a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's great. OK, sorry, carry on.
1: Well, um, yeah, so we provide for you these two abstractions, like inventory and the concurrent task execution. So you don't really like have to worry about, OK, how do I do threads in Python correctly, or how do I store this data? So we kind of like pre-build it for you, but you can extend it in any way you want. We have very detailed documentations with, uh, documentation with tutorials. Um, where you can see different examples. I think Kierke recently wrote a very good article where he was showing how to use Nornir with Netmiko to upgrade uh, uh, operating system on multiple vendors at the same time. It was very detailed and uh, quite advanced I would say because, you know, the actual upgrade is itself quite complex operation. You like to build some checks, you know, you need to like transfer a file, all of this stuff. So it's, like, if you want to get it right, it, it requires some time. But like Kirk wrote this article like ex- explaining this example, okay, here is how I, I did it, right? And you can upgrade across multiple vendors in this case. So, uh, and it doesn't take much longer than do it on one device. You see where I'm going?
0: Yeah, I mean, that sounds great. I mean, so here's the question. It sounds like, what you, so you're using terms that people may not understand. So like uh, you said it's a framework. It sounds like it's a Python version of Ansible f- as an analogy. I don't know if that's right or wrong.
1: Yeah, I would say that's correct. So basically it's a network automation something, let's say system, right? Which is built in Python. And from Python perspective, it's just yet another library. So you, unlike... It's uh, important. Yeah, so like unlike in Ansible, like your main entry point would be like Ansible playbook, or if you're using Tower, you would do it via like the like REST API that the Tower provides. So in this case, it's just another Python library to import. So this leads to another interesting property, which is integration. So if your like main goal is, oh, I would like to like run it with some command and see output on the console, You can still do it, right? But you would, instead of, let's say, calling Ansible Playbook, you would say like Python, Python and then name of the script. But the way we build it, because it's yet another library, it opened the door for other integrations. Let's say uh, you would like to build a web frontend for user user provisioning or uh, some new organization or department provisioning or some new site, okay? So you have, let's say, a website where the back end would be some Python framework, let's say Flask or Django, whatever. And you have a form where you can add, add you have like username and you have submit button, you know, and then what you would like to have that as a result, you'd like that translate to a change across your whole infrastructure provision a port, maybe change some firewall uh, policies, maybe change something on I-Site, on AAA server, whatever you want, right? So, you can easily build that. You don't have to like use Ansible Tower and REST API, you don't have to use their library which was not really, really well thought because it was done like afterwards, you know, like their main entry point was always Ansible Playbook. You can use all of that because it's just another import statement.
0: Yeah, that sounds really cool. So I mean if someone's new to network automation, would you recommend that they study NetMiko, Napalm first, or is, is this easy enough and simple enough to just go straight away and study? So, um,
1: yeah, there are a couple of things. Um, I think the like if you would like to write what you would want to write in Ansible, like simple stuff, like collect some commands or apply this, uh, build the configuration from Jinja template, provision it, you know, that stuff is equally easy in Nornier, based on our example. Though the benefit here, from Ansible side, is that it has a very strong community and there are so many people using it compared to our framework yet. Yeah, so it means that it's much more easier to find these all different blog articles. Well, hopefully for the right Ansible version. No, 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 right. All versions, yeah. Uh, yeah, so. Um, they still like the community for Ansible is so much bigger, right? So finding those examples and finding help is still like easier because there are so many people who could help you. Oh, yeah. But like technically, even if you don't know Python, I would say they ex- what you would do in Ansible and what would you do via Nornier would be similar amount of effort to learn. Uh, however, as I said, because of the strong community support, if you feel like if it's still a Python, so you need to have some basic understanding of Python, of some, at least some fundamentals, you know? So if you you feel like Python is a little bit too much for you, that's okay if you start with Ansible, because it's popular to a lot of people using it. But if you already have or planning to to, uh, do Python, right? And even more so, if you already tried the libraries like NetMiko or Napalm, I would strongly encourage you to check out this framework. It would be almost natural for you to go from, like, from your basic Python skills to building some stuff with this framework. And it's also very interesting that you could also use that as a a way to improve your Python skills. So what, what I found happens right now is that there are not so many resources on, like, Python for network engineers. I know you have a course, I know Kirk has a course, but in general, it's not so many, no. right? Compared to generic like Python books and uh, stuff, no right? Ones, yeah. Right. So, and usually, one way or another, you would need to read those books. There are some very, very good books that if you need to read if you want to become a good Python developer. So, what you can do is that start using some kind of Python tutorials or Python books, which are generic to, to learn about Python, but then instantly apply this knowledge to that framework and like, okay, I learned these variables, I learned about dictionaries and lists and the variables and how to open the files. Now I actually can, I have idea in mind, uh, how I want to collect some commands periodically to a file or something. You can use that knowledge, couple it with tutorials from Nornir, and this would be a way for you also to
0: to improve in Python. You know, I, agree, yeah. I think you know, what I found on you know the course that I created, um, the reason why I think it resonates with a lot of people is because it's Python for networking people, and there's no better way to learn Python than like take a framework like yours and and I shouldn't say yours, but you know, I mean your I core developer. I, I am core I developer. Am just helping. No, that's fine. So take Nornia, if I'm pronouncing it right, and um, and learn Python by trying to configure a device. Like use GNS3, use viral, use something. And that's I think the best way to to learn. So I want to talk about something else, but before we get there, is there anything else you wanted to say about Nornia? Um, not necessarily. I think
1: I I think if people are interested, I would just encourage you to check 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 it out. We have really great documentation and tutorials, and uh, we also have the community on network to code Slack, which is the community for a lot of network automation people. Yeah. There are channels for every single project that you you know in networking world, network automation world. So I would encourage you to do that, and. Uh,
0: so can they, if they need some help, can they contact you on Twitter or what's the best way to get help?
1: So there are two best ways. Go to Slack and ask a question there because there every core developer is there.
0: Network to code,
1: yeah? Network to code Slack, yes, you can add it yourself if you, you know, find the link in Google and then go to the channel, ask there. Alternatively, you can just go directly to GitHub and open an issue. Even Even if the thing is not a bug, you can still, like, ask a question. And, you know, we, we will help you
0: out. So, Dimitri, that's great. Something I get asked what seems like all the time is about certifications. Like you were a programmer, then you became a network guy, and then it looks like you've kind of gone back into programming, but I would say more like network automation engineer, um, but you're doing a lot of coding. So, the question is, you know, if I'm a new person, do I go and get my CCNA, CCMP, CCIE? what do I should I just go and code I've asked this question of like everyone that I've interviewed and it'd be good to get your opinion about you know what should someone who's new do based on your experience
1: sure I also get this question a lot David Um, from my perspective um, even if in the networking world there would be two types of engineers so there would be still networking people who understand Technology really well, and there would be people who are more focused on software development. I would call them network automation engineers. Maybe there will be a different name for this role, and they know a little bit of networking, and they do coding mo- most of the time. Okay. And it really depends on what you want. I don't think network engineers are going away, uh, so don't be afraid. We, we are we are good here. Uh, there still should be someone who knows how to design network and uh, and how to troubleshoot networking technologies and software developers do not know that yeah. and I, they're not going to really um, so it really depends so if you would like to become a network engineer like focused on networking technologies I think certifications still have their value but the uh, only thing that from my perspective and I also think it was always the case that you should not use certification at the your end goal. You should use them as a guideline for your for learning the technologies themselves or uh, the stack of technologies. So your focus should be, how, am I, how can I become a good network engineer? And the answer is not be, to become a CCIE, but to understand all of the technologies, let's say in a REST track, and maybe something more,
0: uh, in in deep details, you know? So in other words, you become a a CCIE, not to just get the title, the title's like a benefit. Uh, It's to learn, go through that journey of learning. And I think one of the things I like about certifications is you, you don't know what you don't know. And certifications help you learn stuff that's perhaps out of your sphere. I don't know if you agree with that, yeah? You're nodding your head, so, so Yeah,
1: I absolutely agree with that. So let's say at my work, I I didn't do a lot of multicast and I didn't do a lot of, let's say, MPLS or three VPNs, but this was part of a REST track, so I had to learn it, right? So now I know this kind of stuff. Yeah. And, you know, if I would go work somewhere else as a network engineer, that would be a very big chance that I would use multicast in the network, or maybe MPLS. If I would go to a service provider, you know. So, yeah, I use certifications as a guideline, and this is how I got the most value out of certification. Because if you are just focusing on title, I can tell you, you are going to be disappointed. Because even though the certification is still requirement, is part of like some the job job uh, openings. If you go to an interview and the only thing you know is, like how to answer some questions from the exam, no one is going to hire you. Like...
0: Yeah, now it's gonna say yes. So Dimitri, that's great. So would you, if you were starting today, would you go and do CCNA? And then the second question is, if you had a CCNA, would you go and do CCMP? And then the third question is, let's say you've already got your CCMP, would you still go and do CCIE? With all these changes that are happening with DevNet and like all the developer stuff, what would you recommend? See, I still, I it's a tough one. That uh is. Yeah. Uh, That's why I'm asking.
1: Yeah, I mean, it still depends on what you feel you would like more. Understanding and working with networking technologies or understanding and knowing how to write software. And this is where it should start. You could try both of them and see, you know, which one you like more. I know some people who are who will not imagine their life without doing software development, and they would never ever learn BGP or that kind of stuff. And another side, I see a lot of network engineers who like really like it and also would never like do full stack software development. So if you feel like uh, you're, you like more network engineering, I would still suggest you to go through certifications Uh, And at least learn the material of the certification that it's covering. The decision if you go to exam or not is really up to you. Um, For me, it was beneficial, uh, but I also know that some people are, you know, don't see value in doing that. It really depends on personality, I guess, and what is your goal. So I would personally, if I felt that starting today, that I want to become a network engineer. Probably I would still go through the whole thing. Up to IE? Up to IE, mainly because, you know, I I want to be good at what I do. And being CCE doesn't necessarily mean that you are very good. No. But being good and being CCE, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you're trying to achieve everything you can in this area. You yeah. see where I'm going? Yeah. So uh, it's kind of like achievement thing, if you will. So for me, it was very valuable. So I could say to myself, yeah, like I am good enough to become CSAE. Yeah. Like it, it, yeah, it doesn't mean that I am stopping at, okay, I learned CSAE. No, I, I'm not touching networking technologies anymore. It just means that I'm good enough to pass CSAE, right? And this is considered to be the top certification in the
0: networking industry, right? That's great. So thanks very much for that input. Now I'm going to ask you something that we spoke about earlier which is I get asked as well this question machine learning AI we're not gonna have a job soon what do you think okay so here's the thing Um,
1: as part of my side studies well I was I was always trying to do even when I was working to do some like online courses and uh, Machine learning was one of the things that I wanted to understand much more because everyone was talking about it. So I started, I started going through multiple courses, reading books, doing hands-on. And my perspective on this is the following. I think machine learning is definitely going to change how things are done in the whole IT world, but they will not kill everything else. Um, so for example, uh, let's talk a little bit about machine learning, like what it is really.
0: What is it?
1: Yeah, yeah. because there is a lot of hype. Yeah. A lot of people mention it. They don't understand what it means. They think it's some kind of silver bullet which will solve every problem. Yeah. Like, oh, I uh, like we will have network which will fix themselves or something. Maybe at some point we will, but not anytime soon, I guess. Um, So the uh, the whole idea behind machine learning is... It's a way for a computer to understand patterns in the data and then make future predictions based on some input data. As the example uh, I gave you before was, if you, uh, if let's say the uh, salary uh, of a network engineer uh, depends on something like uh, years of experience and maybe some other factors, right? So using machine learning and a lot of input data, where you'll say you surveyed a lot of network engineers, how many years of experience you have, what is your compensation? Maybe ask them uh, like, where do you live? What is the company you're working for? Like how many employees a company has? Is it part of Fortune 100? All of these different things, right? So what machine can do for you with machine learning, it can understand if there is any correlation between your input data and your desired outcome, in this case, would be salary, and it can build a model for you so that you can start um, making predictions. Let's say you input, okay, here's my number years of experience. I want to work in this region, in Fortune 100 company, uh, and you know something like that, and the machine can make a uh, uh, quiet quite accurate prediction on what your compensation would be. If your input data really is, makes sense, if it really impacts the salary, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the weather today doesn't really impact your salary, so that input doesn't make sense.
0: all, all depends on the input data. And something.
1: Exactly. And a lot of machine learning is actually data science. So it's a lot of data manipulation. You have to understand what your data really is, how to make it better, what you should exclude to make it to make it run much faster? How do you f- uh, tweak the algorithm itself to make better predictions? So I don't think machine learning is going to change anything significantly to like our jobs, but it's going to change the way uh, the way we are doing uh, the way we can improve our technology. Okay, so. Um, For example, there is a product that, I think Cisco released last year, I don't remember exactly which was encrypted traffic analytics. And the idea there was that we would try to identify malware in the encrypted data. And the way how uh, we do it is apparently after a lot of research, we found out that the patterns between the user traffic, normal traffic, if you will, and the malware is so much different, even in encrypted state, so the um, we were calculating the data size the packet size and the time between different packets, and those proved to be very accurate features to make a proper prediction if it's a malware or not. So um, I don't remember like percentage that was announced, but I think it was either ninety five or ninety nine percent accuracy for the known malware to identify it in encrypted uh, traffic, which I think is pretty cool. So c- can you imagine doing that? You know, like you can't really do that with some other techniques. So I think there we will start seeing a lot of this interesting analytics uh, analytics type of stuff, which would definitely improve the way we approach networking, but
0: it's not going to kill network engineering.
1: This my take on it.
0: I think that's really encouraging to hear. I mean, you've done a lot of, just so that everyone's aware, Dimitri has also taught a uh, machine learning course. So he knows what he's talking about. So it's really nice to get his opinion on these things. So Dimitri, it looks like we're running out of time. So I really want to thank you for your time. Thanks so much for spending time with us and explaining these uh, various topics. And um, I personally want to look more at this NONIA framework so that I can see how it can benefit me. So thanks very much.